Stand with us, let's sing together. All hail the power of Jesus' name. to see you here this morning. Um, Brother David is, and Miss Cammie, they are with David's mom, Miss Carol, uh, and she's not doing well. And so um, early on this morning, they were spending time at the rehab and had to go back. And so just pray for Miss Carol, for David and Cammie, and uh, we are uh, blessed with that couple. And uh, we miss them when they're not here, and we just need to pray for David. I know how it is to go through difficulty uh, with me, with even death, with a parent uh, while trying to minister. So it's not the easiest thing in the world. Praise the Lord for Daniel and uh, the group picking up and helping out. And we pray the Lord is going to speak to our hearts today. Amen. All right. Also, uh, Mr. Gene Trotter went to be with the Lord this week. Pray for Miss Pam. That service will be on Tuesday at Adams Funeral Home. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Great God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we just thank you. Lord, just think, Lord, just in my mind, that hymn, that thou, my God, would die for me. Lord, just help us uh, to think about your incredible plan, administrative plan of salvation. Lord, that you would save us from our sins. Lord Jesus, we just give you praise and glory. Our only boast is in you and you alone. And we thank you for such a great salvation. May we lift our voices today, crown you Lord of all. And Father, may we not only worship you with song, but Lord, may we worship you by our hearing of the word, the application into our lives. Lord, open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your word. Lord, help us to have clarity of thought when your 
dealing with texts like we're looking at in Ephesians 3, it's somewhat mind-boggling to think about what we're reading and to try to figure it out, Lord, with your Holy Spirit's help. But Father, would you enlighten us through your word, illuminate our hearts and minds through your spirit, together with the word, so that we can better serve you in our world as a church uh, that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord, His mercy is born. You are joy, you are joy, you're the reason. 
When I came in and sat down on the front row, Billy said to me, my wife's mad about me growing this beard out. <clears throat> Look, folks, I'm not going to take the blame for all the men growing out their beards for back to Bethlehem. As a matter of fact, there's a couple in this church somewhere in here. I'm not going to tell you where they are, but I actually had to call this week and beg the husband on behalf of the wife to shave that beard. Because there were some portraits coming up. I'm not going to say who it is. I love this lady. I'd never say that, would I? No, I wouldn't. But I, I'm sorry. I failed. Because I saw the gentleman yesterday, and he won because he didn't shave his beard off. So uh, I'm not going to take that blame. This is Pastor Appreciation Month, right? <laughs> Don't be blaming it on me because you're growing out your beard, all right? <clears throat> all right. Let's talk to the, about the glory of the gospel ministry. I couldn't think of a better title to give this. We've been dealing with the fact that we're stewards of the ministry of grace given to us. Paul expounds upon that. So we're down to Ephesians 3. And let's use that transitional verse of verse 7, which is clearly that. Why do I say that? Because there's a bookend. There's an inclusio here. Do you see it? At the end of verse 2, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Now watch verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Do you see? It's called an inclusio. It's bracketing everything together. So verse 7 should be seen as a transitional verse. Okay? So let's start with verse 7. And for this morning, let's proceed down through verse 10. Of this gospel... I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. All right, now we're going to have two infinitive phrases that lead to one so what. And we've got to have a drum roll when we get to verse 10, right? The so what is, is very important. So here are, here are the two infinitives. To preach... To the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ, second infinitive, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Drum roll. Praise the Lord. Here it is, verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Anybody else want to preach this morning? That's some heavy, heavy stuff. I hope you understand that we're living in an age where we are trying to make the church relevant to the masses. That's the age we're living in. We have wars. We have international crises going on. Do I have to remind you of the COVID pandemic? Even when I say it, I want to cringe, right? What about the media pushing and people? The total desire for abortion on demand. I even heard, just walking through the house this morning, uh, I saw a sign that said, uh, not to allow abortion is inhumane. <laughs> My thoughts were, boy, are we ever turned on our heads in the United States of America. No, we believe abortion is murder and inhumane. 
And so we, we see these things. What about the divorce epidemics uh, that we see among people? And we're tempted to think, how important are a few hymns and a sermon on Sunday morning? I mean, with all the things going on in this world, we're tempted to think just that. Just that. After all, our whole world, it seems, is falling apart. And you may be in the position this morning where you're saying, my life is falling apart. It could be you. Paul is given this word by the inspiration of the Spirit of God, and it gives us a perspective on the church, listen to this, history, and the future. And this should cause all of us to think that what goes on in this building, Sunday, Lord's Day after Lord's Day, and not only here, but all over the world where people are gathering together with Christ as their King, worshiping Him, that... There is something actually central to the unfolding of all of history as we meet together. Do y'all know how huge that is? So, I told you when we started this, chapter 3, that uh, build, building upon chapter 2:22, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I said regarding that verse that we need to reorient ourselves to the beauty and glory of the church. Right? We need to reintroduce ourselves to the wonder of what it means to be a member of the church. And then we need to refocus on the marvelous privileges of what it means to be God's people. So this is where we're headed in chapter 3. We're building to that incredible doxology that begins in chapter 3, verse 20 through 21 regarding the church. So with all that being said intro-wise, Paul loved grace. His writings are pregnant and they're permeated with grace. And as we read about grace, we find out that it humbled Paul. He lived with a humble gratitude to God for the grace that was given to him. He will continually deflect any attention away from himself, and he will deflect it all toward the God of all grace. This is what you see Paul doing without exception all the way through his writings. And you'll remember that Paul referred to himself as the least of the apostles. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, I'm the least who was born out of due time. But here in this text, which was given to me by the work of the Spirit, verse 8, to me, though I am the very least of, the, of all the saints, that means he's comparing himself to me and you. And he's saying that I am the least. Well, Wallace, Greek scholar, translate it, translates it less than the least how you like this for English grammar? Are the leaster. Really? That's what he says. The leaster. F.F. Bruce translates it lesser most. So Paul considers, when he looks at the grace of God and how it transformed his life, from being a persecutor of the church in Christ to being a tracker, we'll see this in a moment, of Christ, the fact of the matter is, <clears throat> he would view it a privilege to serve Christ. He viewed his ministry as a privilege of serving the Lord Jesus Christ. So at this point, Paul will now provide the purposes of all of the grace of God given to him and the empowerment to move forward in the ministry. So we might say that this text moves from his position in 3.1, which was a prisoner, right? And then it moves toward his stewardship, something that was given to him to administrate as God's call upon his life, and then it swings over to this service of gospel proclamation. And that should be true for all of us. If you've been redeemed by grace, God has a plan and a purpose for your existence on earth. And it's not just to sit and soak. It is to actually be involved in a service for the king. So, if you remember our points before, we dealt with the grace of God and being a steward of it. That started us off in chapter 3, verse 1. And then we moved toward how the mystery is given to us. It's given by revelation and the Spirit. And thank the Lord for revelation, right? Which is the Word of God. Today we move to this central point. Our stewardship of the mystery leads to the service of gospel proclamation. And this is chapter, uh, verse, chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. In other words, it's the glory of the gospel ministry. That's what this looks like. So I want to I go into this in uh, three ways, okay? I want to touch on this in three ways. 
And I struggled all week. I think it was not till Saturday morning when it popped in. No, no, it was, it was Friday morning when it popped into my mind how we should outline this particular text and stay true to what it's saying. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about those two infinitives, okay, to bring, uh, to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Then we're going to talk about to bring to light the mystery. And then we're going to hit the, the drum roll so that. Or the so what given. Here's the way we're going to do it. First, we preach to all the good news of Christ's unfathomable wealth. Do you see it in verse 8? To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach. And that word is proclamation. So he sees his ministry given to him. Even though he was a hell-deserving sinner, God gave this grace to him, saved him, and then gave him this ministry of the gospel to proclaim it to the Gentiles. And he sums up this ministry with two infinitive phrases. Is to preach, that's one, to bring to light. And he does this to serve one grand purpose. That's in this passage we're going to see. So Paul sees this ministry as having received grace from God to preach the there's a lot of translations out there. I don't know what you're reading for this word, but unsearchable riches of Christ. So, it refers to something being impossible to understand on the basis of careful investigation or examination. That is what unsearchable actually means. Some of your translations may say incalculable. Some of your translations may say incomprehensible. Well, it's interesting to note that the term doesn't appear anywhere outside of the Greek, anywhere in the Greek language outside of the Bible. It's interesting. Unsearchable. Arnold says the word is built on the word for footprint. It was used for a tracker who pursues another by following footprints. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Our writers refer to God's incalculable attributes by using this particular word. Now... Just think with me for a moment how seismic the change was in Paul's life. Has anybody else ever noticed that in the Bible? That you're dealing with a man who says, I'm the least of all the apostles. I'm the least of all the saints. I'm the chief of sinners. Can anybody identify with that? Have you all felt that way this week? If you haven't, then the Holy Spirit doesn't live in you. We should all feel that way. All the time. Or, or a, lot, a lot of times we should feel this. That we're the chief of sinners. And yet, think about this. Someone who was the persecutor of Christ, who, he's, who says numerous times, I was not even worthy of grace, or even a consideration of redemption. And yet, there's this seismic shift in his life where we call it a Damascus Road experience, right? Where he goes from hating Christ and Christianity to pursuing Jesus with a being so consumed that the person of Christ was all he ever thought about. That is, it is just amazing to stop and think about it. Christ the Lord, as a matter of fact, should be our consuming subject when we teach and when we preach. Amen? Amen. Should he not be? Not only in our preaching, but these riches of Christ should be continually in our minds in our hearts, and I use the expression unfathomable wealth. Folks, you'll never get to the bottom of the Christ of the mystery of the gospel. You know, really, the translation is Christ himself is the content or is what constitute, constitutes the content of the gospel. Look at it clearly. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Christ is the one who makes up and constitutes all of the real reality of what the gospel is. Folks, in other words, there's no gospel. There's no salvation for mankind if it's not Christ. So we stand as a church and say there are not many roads to heaven. Uh, there are not parallel roads that all lead to heaven. No, there's only one way, and that's why Jesus said it clearly. Uh, Paul says it in Acts chapter 4, There's no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. And Jesus would say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So folks, here's my application about the unsearchable, unfathomable riches of Christ's wealth. You need to proclaim that to your own soul daily. I mean, just think about the times we're living in. Folks, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. You need, you need to proclaim this to yourself. And what should that lead to? Being consumed 
with who Jesus Christ. Paul says, this one thing I do, leaving everything which is behind, I press toward the mark, which is an athletic term. I strive toward the finish line. Why? I'm willing to give it up, everything up, and count it all as rubbish that I might gain Christ. And so you need to let your consumption with Jesus overflow to a declaration to this world of Christ's glory to others in this world. Don't we? We need to do this. So the goal in ministry should never be personal praise, but rather praise to the Savior. Our constant refrain should be, what a great Savior we have. The unfathomable wealth of the Lord Jesus Christ. I like how Tony Marita says it. Christ is the hero of the Bible. Christ is the hero of the mystery. He's the hero of our preaching, of our teaching, and our evangelism. Amen? To God be the glory. So, this is our stewardship. We preach to all the good news of Christ's unfathomable wealth. Number two, we reveal to all how God's hidden purpose was to be put into effect. Here's what the text says. And to bring to light. It's from the Greek word photizo. Uh-oh, do you mind know what that means? Yes, anything to do with photographs or photosynthesis derives itself from this particular Greek word. So every time you use it, it's a derivative of where it came from in the Greek. So the verb literally means to show up something for what it is. And Paul sees his ministry as an enlightening ministry of bringing light and making plain. What, are, what is he making plain? The administration, there's that word again, of the mystery. He sees himself as this. Now, just stay there and let me show you how all this started with Paul. Actually, this is the end of, of basically the end of the book of Acts. But here's what he reminds us of regarding bringing light to those in darkness. And he quotes the words of Jesus to him. Here's what he says. Jesus said, to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So Paul saw his ministry as this. Now, was Paul the one that gave light himself? Was he the one that opened a dead sinner's eyes? No, he wasn't. As a matter of fact, Paul knew that he was actually an instrument in the hands of the Lord as an illuminating agent because 2 Corinthians 4.9 reminds us that only God can speak light out of darkness. Only God can do this. So not only was he a proclaimer, but Paul was also an explainer, right? He proclaimed the unsearchable riches of Christ, but he also explained and brought light, understanding through his ministry. Psalm 119, 130 is a great verse. As a matter of fact, Psalm 119 is great all the way around. And I'm a personal believer that Psalm 119 was written by Daniel. Okay? And here's what the writer would say. Psalm 119, 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. How do we get this light? Well, it's from the Word. We're backing up to Revelation and the Spirit. The unfolding of your Word gives light. It was to bring light to the administrative administration of the mystery. Now, we've already encountered this language. Y'all see it? The mystery hidden for ages in God. And if you back up to verse 5, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and his prophets. So, a mystery here is something beyond human discovery, but the emphasis is upon the fact that God has now revealed it to us. So the definition doesn't fall upon the hiddenness but it actually falls upon revelation by God. In regard to the administration, we could put it like this. This is how God has chosen to work out, to administrate his purpose. This is how he has chosen to disclose his eternal purpose. This is how he has chosen to accomplish his eternal purpose. So this refers to the illumination and or the unfolding of God's plan. And the focus ends up being Paul's own missionary 
focus. This is huge. He saw his commission as not only to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, but also to bring to light the unfolding of God's plan to all the nations. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, right? His focus was not just on the Jews. His focus was not just on a, a, a set group of Gentiles in Ephesus. His focus was upon the entire world. So the mystery that was hidden refers back to verse 5. Fully revealed in the ages that Paul was in. What was concealed under the old? Y'all remember the history of what we tracked through? Don't make me preach all of it again. Say yes, we remember preacher, right? It was the radical nature of what God has actually done through the Gentiles. Remember, he didn't give us the whole understanding. Uh, we knew that uh, Gentiles would come into the temple. But we didn't realize that it wasn't just about a temple. It was about the fact that we would become the holy temple of God. Right? It wasn't just about an allotment of land. As a matter of fact, we have an inheritance that is much bigger than a piece of property. Remember all of that? That was hidden but has now come to light. So he kept this grand unveiling. He kept this final product, might we say, disclosed until the fullness of time. When God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, born under the law, that he might re redeem those who are under the law. So then in the fullness of time, that which was revealed in the Old Testament in bits and pieces, types and shadows, through an entire nation of Israel was finally revealed. And check this out, unless you missed this. Who created all things. Does that look strange to you? And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. Who created all things. You know, it's interesting to read commentators. Tators. Commentators, right? You ever read commentaries? You know... It's interesting to read these things and see how people fight over what something should mean or shouldn't mean. Interesting. Well, commentators will bicker back and forth about why Paul would put this statement right here. Again, look at it on the pages. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things. I think there's a pretty clear reason why he said the God who created all things. It's because our God created all things. I went to seminary to learn that. That is extremely profound. I think it is because he made all things. Think about this, though. What is the significance of this in light of what Paul is unfolding for us? Well, I think it's pretty straightforward. And we may forget this sometimes, but I want to remind you. Look, look at me. Everybody looking? This is God's world. He created this world. And Paul is thinking about that. This is God's world. Paul would say, certainly I have been given this administration. I've been given this responsibility to take and to preach and proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. And yes, I've been called by God to bring to light things that were hidden in the past but are now revealed. But you must understand something. This is God's world. He created all things. It's his plan. Unless you haven't figured this out, he doesn't owe you an explanation. Nor does he owe any previous generation. He doesn't owe any nation or any age an explanation to figure out the fact that God has a plan and he can administer that plan because he has created all things. What he has concealed, he did so by his own sovereign will. What he has revealed, he has revealed when he has desired to reveal it and to whom he desires to reveal it. That's our God. Paul is simply reminding us that God is God. It is his plan. It is his world. And our God is in the heavens. And the Bible says he does whatsoever pleases him. He reveals what he wants, to whom he wants, and when he wants. Right? William Carey is perhaps the most famous missionary in the Western world of all time. He is called the father of modern missions. Does anybody know where William Carey went? To, mission, to be a missionary, he went to India, okay, in the 1800s. He was at one point explaining God's plan of the gospel to a Brahmin priest. And this priest said to William Carey, If what you say is true, then it seems to me that God has sinned against us by giving us this information, by not giving us inf this information sooner. <laughs> 
if this is such good and glorious news, God should have given it to us a long time ago. William Carey responded by saying, you need to remember God is God. And if God so chooses to leave an entire nation in darkness and to bring them to light centuries after the light has come, that's God's prerogative. And besides, the darker the darkness, the more glorious the light. When God decides to reveal, folks, he is doing exactly what God pleases to do. Do you realize that in the first place, there was no necessity that God should create any of us? There's not a single necessity that God should create any of us. Our God acted with perfect freedom when he brought this world into existence. God created, right? When he did choose to create, think about this. There was before him an infinite number of possibilities. Y'all believe that? But, as a matter of fact, we find that he chose this particular one that we're now living in. <laughs> think about that. He chose this particular one. So Paul revels in the fact that God would choose someone like him to make this mystery known. And when you get to verse 10, y'all ready? Drum roll. Some of you rascals are asleep. Right? You've glazed over like a donut. Right? You're saying, please help me from the infinitive phrases. Those two. To bring to light. And to preach. And now you want to hear the so what. All right, here's those two little words that should always excite you when you read the Bible. Verse 10, so that, purpose clause, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Here it is. God's intention, number three in your outline, was that his wisdom be known through his church. That's what the text says. So we really could say, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Skip all the way down to verse 10. So that through the church the manifold of wisdom of God might be known. We could take the affinitives out. They're just building. Okay, They're building a, an understanding of how these things took place. But all leading to this one consummate purpose. Here's the grand overarching purpose that God has revealed. It is in order to make known the manifold wisdom of God. And now we're going to end the sermon right here before I explain what that means. No, that's not true. But stop and think about it for just a moment, what Paul is saying. God has his plan all along. And he's been working it out through redemptive history. Through types and covenants and the nation of Israel and shadows. And he's unfolding it bit by bit. And then he sends forth his son. You ever heard of Christmas? The incarnation? When we celebrate the coming of Christ. And then he sends forth his son in, the, in all of his fullness. And the mystery of Christ is now revealed. And God has performed this millennia long drama. Scene by scene. Act by act. In order to do what was his ultimate purpose in all of this. God has done what he has done to make known his manifold wisdom. He did this to put himself on display. He did it to put his own wisdom on display. And some of you are thinking, preacher, I thought all this stuff was about me. I thought this whole plan of salvation was all centered on me. I'm the one needs to be saved. It's really, it's about me. Well, folks, I need to under, help you understand something. All of salvation history is first about God. It is first about God. We would think that it would say something like this. So that through the church, God would receive the glory. <laughs> would we not? I mean, we'd be okay with that. And it's certainly true. But that's not what the text says. The text says to make known the manifold wisdom of God. All right? Any of you guys ever changed a manifold in a car? That's not what this is talking about. <laughs> when you heard, some of you are laughing because you know... When you see the word manifold, the only other time you've seen that is something to do with a car. Well, the term means variegated. It means many-sided. All right, check this out. It means many, like the splendor of God, but many-splendored. 
is actually what this word means. In other words, manifold is not a good English translation to try to figure out what the text was really saying in the Greek. It has to do with being many-sided. It's multidimensional. In the Greek, actually, it's a poetic word. It is used consistently in the context of embroidered patterns and multicolored garments. Peter O'Brien, great expositor, says, It is used here in a figurative sense to speak of the richly diversified nature of the divine wisdom of God. Now, folks, the wisdom of God, I hope you understand that. That is, in fact, an attribute of God. When we say God is wise, then we're dealing with an attribute of God. So, the wisdom of God is, in fact, an attribute. Our God is omni, are you ready? Some of you put it on your tongue. You tried. But he's omnisapient. All right, now think about this. All of us have heard the term omniscience, right? Haven't you? What does that mean? God is all knowing. And we've all heard the term omnipresent. He's everywhere at one time. And you've heard the terminology omni. Or omnipotent. So, omnipresence, God is everywhere present. You've heard of omnipotence, God is all-powerful. You know what that means, folks. All power belongs to God. And everything else is derived power that we exert. And even the very energy of the universe comes from the power of God. That's what the Bible tells us. And then he's omniscient. God knows all things. He listens. He, listen to this, he knows both actual and potentialities. That's our God. He knows things past, present, and future. He knows all possibilities, and he knows all potentialities. But he's also omnisapient. God is all-wise. Here's how Paul ends the most systematic treatise found anywhere in the Bible, and it's called the book of Romans. And here's what he says in chapter 16, verse 27. To the only wise God. Be glory forever and ever. And he goes ahead and says, Amen. Right? He's the all-wise one. And here's one of my favorites concerning the attribute of wisdom for God. It says in Job 9.4, He is wise in heart. Let this rest on your mind. And he is mighty in spirit. Who has hardened himself against him and succeeded? Job 9.4 the NLT says, who has defied God without harm? The answer to that is no one, right? The idea is that God is the infinite source of wisdom. Not only that, but God possesses all wisdom. And when we think about wisdom, how should we think about God's wisdom? Some of you ladies are reading a book. It's called Knowing God. And I know that you've got smoke coming out of your ears every day when you read. But listen to J.I. Packer. This is extremely helpful. Y'all listening? I'm getting close to bringing out the landing gear. I'm going to land the plane in just a minute. Okay, please stay with me. J.I. Packer says, what does the Bible mean when it calls God wise? He says, in Scripture, wisdom is a moral as well as an intellectual quality. So it is more than just intelligence. It's more than just knowledge. Just that it is more, that it is more than just cleverness or being cunning. To be truly wise in the Bible sense, one's intelligence and cleverness must harness always to the right end. Let that sink in. Wisdom is the power to see. It is the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of actually attaining it. Wisdom, therefore, would be the practical side of moral goodness. In such, it is in the fullness, it is found only in God. Only in God. God is never other than wise in anything he ever does. It's another thing altogether to implement that wisdom without fail. <sighs> Can you implement a plan without fail? I thought about this week. I had everything in my mind planned out how we were going to take care of a situation. Man, I rehearsed that thing over in my mind so many times I like to blew a screw. And I said to myself... If I do this, 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 I know full well that the actions, the ends, and the means, I have to look at it and say, that is wisdom. But you know what I can't control? Contingencies. You cannot control those 
things. Those external contingencies hinder you attaining what you thought was the right, wisest route to go. God knows all possibilities. All the ends. He knows all the means. And in his wisdom, our God has chosen a plan that is comprehensible, comprehensive, and it is detailed. He's not only determined the end, but also the means. If we couple together the all-wise God, are y'all listening? And you put it together with the all-powerful God, how can the plan of God ever be thwarted? How can it ever be thwarted? What external contingency could ever detract or derail the plan of God in all of God's wisdom? He is all wise. So here we have this manifold wisdom of God. The unfolding of this plan comes from the sovereign, His sovereign power, from His eternal decree. But its grand purpose is to put on display His many-splendored wisdom. Now go back to the poetic analogy. What do we think about here? God weaves a thousand seemingly tangled threads into one glorious pattern without mistake. And it happens exactly the way our God intended for it to happen. Now, I'd like to stop right there, wouldn't you? The only problem with is if you preach the Bible verse by verse, book by book, then you can't stop and go hiccup and jump over it, right? And here's what the Bible says. Check this out. Here it is. The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known... To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God has done what he has done and put his wisdom on display with a particular audience in mind. That's clearly what the text says. And it's the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Now if you've read your Bibles, you know that angels have an interest in man's salvation. Is that not true? Did y'all know that? Am I talking to myself? Let me show you. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 10. 1 Peter 1, verse 10. Remarkable similarity between this language and Ephesians, as a matter of fact. Listen. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who have preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, check this out, things into which angels long to look. Wow. We know this, don't we? It's called angelic curiosity. You know why it's called that? Because angels are not created to be redeemed. By the decree of God, fallen angels will always be, always be fallen angels. And elect angels will always be elect angels with no change, no redemption whatsoever. And they long to look into what happens. Here's the problem. When Paul uses authorities and rulers, he's almost every time without exception speaking of the demonic realm. Wow. As a matter of fact, Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to get there in about five years, right? And what does it say? principalities in high places and spiritual forces and, and the like, which we are called by God to stand with our spiritual armor. Y'all have read that, haven't you? Well, many commentators say that Paul is referring to good and fallen angels here. I think it is invariably speaking of demonic powers. So, this gets interesting. God saves sinners, and he has chosen Paul as a herald to preach to illuminate people. So that they could understand the plan of God. And he does this in order to make his manifold wisdom known on display to rulers and authorities. And principalities and powers. I do not contend today to know exactly what Paul is talking about here. I don't know about you, but I'm okay with that. There are some things that are unfathomable. Y'all agree? There are certain things that are unsearchable. There are certainly times when we say, I don't know. Exactly what Paul is talking about. But let's do our best to work through this. What God is doing through salvation and through his church is putting on display his wisdom in front of the rulers and authorities. God, God's wisdom in reconciling men unto himself and his wisdom in reconciling us to one another 
That's a novel idea in the United States of America when we're just debilitated by isolationism. But God has a plan to reconcile us to himself and, and one another to each other. Why? To display his power and authority himself. His manifold wisdom to them. So that's the clear meaning of the text. Why would God be concerned about demonic powers? Why do y'all think this is true? Well, do y'all know anything about Ephesus? Y'all remember the book of Acts? You can go read for yourselves in Acts chapter 19. Those Ephesians practiced magic. They wore amulets to protect, protect them from evil spirits. They learned little mantras to sight, to keep evil spirits away. They lived in constant bondage to the spiritual realities of demonic forces. That's how they lived their lives. Their lives centered around trying to appease the spirits and somehow try to do this and come out unscathed. Folks, that's bondage. Paul has already informed us that Jesus Christ is the king. Do I need to show you again? Chapter 1. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and dominion and authority and power and above every name that is named. Oof. Some people believe that is a reference to the fact that they used to chant certain names to try to get the evil spirits off them. There's only one name that's been given. It's the name of Jesus Christ. So here, he's exalted above every name that is named. Paul is saying to them that what God is doing in their midst, what God has done in your heart, what God is doing through this church... It's putting you on display right in front of the rulers and authorities. He's taking the ones that lived in abject fear and he's making you a display case for his triumphant grace and wisdom and ultimate victory in Jesus Christ. That doesn't get your wood burning. It's wet. Right? You need to live. You don't need to live in abject fear and bondage to demonic forces. Don't you understand that you are the divine object lesson? Of the triumph of God's wisdom and grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, that's all I know. But I think that's enough for us to chew on for a long time. Right? When I started this sermon, I told you that there's more than meets the eye on a given Sunday morning when, we go, when God's church convenes. I need to say this again. Let me remind you that there's more going on in the church than meets the eye. If you are part of His glorious church then you are part of a cosmic sermon that is being preached to spiritual rulers and authorities. And you're part of it if you're redeemed. As Kent Hughes says, we have a far bigger and more observant viewing audience than any of us realize. Wow. Please do not underestimate the glory of God in the gospel and in the church. We proclaim the incalculable riches of Christ and we make known the manifold wisdom of God. Praise God. Uh, John came in to pray for me this morning like he always does. And in his prayer, he said these words. And it popped into my mind. And I have to be honest with you, John, I didn't even hear the rest of your prayer. When you said that, I said to myself, that's it. Do y'all know of a verse that kind of connects with what he's saying about rulers and authorities and triumphant grace of Christ? I do. Jesus told Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it praise God let's pray father you're so good to us God your word is so rich and I have to be honest at times I have no idea but your spirit through the study of the word and the languages father helps us Lord we're not perfect we're fallen God help us to handle the treasure of your word as we should by all means, gracious Father, help us to track after the unsearchable riches of Christ. That unfathomable wealth. We know he is that to us. He's that treasure. He's that treasure that a man found in the field. Covered it up. Sold everything he had to go purchase that field. God, you are our treasure, Lord Jesus. Father, help us to bring to light by preaching your word this mystery. Lord, you put us on display. You prove to everyone that your grace is sufficient. That Christ triumphed over all. 
And his name is above every name. Father, here's the reality. Every knee will bow. And every, knee will con- every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. May it happen today. May we confess on bended knee and heart that Jesus is Lord. And may we trust you this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Remember no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all knowing, he cuts not their sun. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more. So tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. Francis, will y'all come up here? This is the Lewis family. And they've been coming for quite some time. They've already taken the new members class. And in spite of putting up with me that long, they still want to join the church. That's what they said. So they come to us by transfer of letter from a sister SBC church kind of up north from us, Illinois, right? And so we welcome them here. Amen? And uh, I know they have a desire to get plugged in and to serve. And so uh, we'll make sure that we do our best to wear them out. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm just kidding. Had you go back there toward Don, and we'll greet you as we go out. All right? Um, Yeah. Um, Tonight, uh, I'm going to be preaching. Uh, We're we're doing first and third, okay? So tonight, I want to talk to you about something that connects directly with this, and it's these verses. Consider how we can stir up one another to faith and good works. Y'all ready for the ending? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another as much the more you see the day approaching. I want to preach a two-part series on those two verses, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Tonight, I will deal with most of it. And then on Lord's Supper night, I want to deal with that phrase, encouraging all the more, right before we partake of the Lord's Supper. So please come back tonight. I think it will be a blessing to you. Amen. Miss Kathy has an announcement, so I'm just going to tell you now, I'm done, so if it goes late, it's Kathy, no. She has, she has something about Bethlehem, okay? All right. And y'all pray for David and Cammie and Miss Carol, okay? Hi. Oh, I don't know. Do I have a mic? Does this work? Does this work? So he didn't introduce who I am, but my name's Kathy Trantham, and I am a drama director for Back to Bethlehem. Um, and so, I need, we need you. And uh, tonight we are having a um, cast. So if you have signed up, um, first of all, thank you for everybody who's already told me yes. Um, and we still need more. But tonight at 7 o'clock after the evening service, if you have signed up to be any part of the main cast, so speaking part, um, we are having a quick uh, cast meeting. We're handing out the scripts and just some information books booklets going on talking about what's going on um also i if you have not said yes or if you've not turned in a cast information sheet please 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 send um turn that in fill it out turn it in you can either just hand it to me you could put it in the box that's outside on the table there's extras of these outside on the table um we still are needing people we have a cast of about 200 out there 200 
Um, and about 100 of those are townspeople who walk around. Um, but our immediate need right now is, I, is uh, the cast. And so there's about 100 that we need. And we have a lot of holes I'm trying to fill right now. Um, as, as Brother Philip said, it is a privilege to serve Christ. And that's what, as far as back to Bethlehem, what we are doing is we are proclaiming the gospel. And so we all get to have a part in, which is super exciting when you think about it. And this, it's because it is fun, but we get to proclaim the gospel. And, and it's not, we're not just ending at the manger. We, we conclude and we've, we're telling people why Christ came. Um, so I hope you join us on this journey. Please see me. I'm going to be hanging around up here if you have questions. I do want to point out that as far as like the cast needs, um, we have like two or three, usually three people for each part. So it's not like you're going to have to do the whole night every night. Sometimes we do it in shifts. So you could be out there half night. So if that has been a concern about having to be there the whole entire time, you won't have to be, okay? Um, so I hope a lot of you join. Thank you for those of you who have already said yes. Again, if I've not gotten your information sheet, please, please, please turn it in. Um, I'm trying to put a puzzle piece together right now. Um, and that helps to have those and that information. Um, did I forget anything? I know yeah, probably not. Um, thank you. See, I didn't keep you that long, right? All right, as we go, let's sing together. Let's join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. Oh, that with yonder sacred throng we at his feet.